0: okay let's begin now because it only makes sense
2: Hello there, and welcome to Frankie sense and more it's my pleasure to have you join us today. I have a few guests with me. I have Dovi Krauchow' here with us, and brent Marchand, the the re, what is the word i 'm looking for our our regular movie critic, I guess we can call him our movie correspondent. Uh, he'll be with us a little bit later. And today I am dedicating our show to the United Nations Global Goals, number 16, peace and justice. So, Dovid Kraf- Krafchow is a UD mystic, a Jewish bohemian, author, tarot instructor, reader, and reader, I should say. He's a radio show host and a media personality. Excuse me. David has been studying the secrets of the Torah for over 45 years in their original language, Hebrew and Aramaic. And as well, he has been practicing the tarot for, let's say, the last 30 years. He's the author of more than 15 books, five of which are currently published. And David, Dovid, I should say, has... has Mentioned that living with autism has enabled him to gain an understanding of the mysterious self, as well as recognition and insights into other areas, specifically the Kabbalah. Welcome to the show, David. My pleasure to have you.
3: Hey, thank having, you so much, Mike. My pleasure to be here.
2: You know, having lived on this planet more than 70 years, I have to assume that you have uh, some knowledge of life and how it works, and especially since you have been studying uh, the mystics, I would say, you know, the Kabbalah, the Torah, the tarot, um, all of those bring great insight. But I want to just go back a little bit um, to, to when you were 17 years old, because where did you grow up?
3: I grew up on the peninsula of San Francisco. Okay. Um, it was very pristine in those days, before Silicon Valley. A lot of beautiful orchards and blue skies. It was really something. That's where So I the draw. Pacific
2: Northwest has, has really always been a draw for you, I guess, ever since then.
3: The Pacific? Certainly. I, you know, I went in the Navy then and sailed the Pacific. It's something that's really... Uh, I mean it's just so dramatic. It's the largest sea in the you know, ocean in the world and out in the middle of the Pacific the the waves are like uh, uh mountain on a, on a on a still day. <laughs> really something.
2: Now you yeah. you joined the navy as you said, and did you, you went to Vietnam? Were you in the Vietnam War? Did well, you get
3: that right? I, I was uh I, I was on the flagship. I was in, I, I was in communications. I was a uh, electronic technician. Okay. And, uh, and so we were, and we were on the, the, this was the flagship of the amphibious force. So we were sent out actually to, uh, uh, invade on the demarcation line between north and south to try to stop the, the hostilities. And 24 hours before the invasion, uh, we got a message from the Pentagon, which in those days, we had to like bounce it off the moon, uh, saying that we should forget about the invasion, take everyone to Saigon. And they had decided to fight a conventional war, which everyone knew we could not win. Mm -hmm. So, and for a year before I got out, I was one of the last people to get out before they, you know, before no one got out. That uh, you know, we were taking people there, you know, a lot of this young, scared guys who, uh, you know, many of them just never returned. And, and it was really, uh, you know, we were all very patriotic in those days. We'd grown up uh, patriotic.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh, and those of us who saw this from either America or from Vietnam knew that uh, patriotism was over.
2: <laughs> so how old were you when you left? How old were you when you got out?
3: 21. I, I went into what was called the, the Kitty Cruise. If you went in while you were 17, you got out the day before you are 21, which was 1965. And I you know, I went back to San Francisco, and, and LSD was still uh, legal at that point. I kind of went from one world to another.
2: Right. Pretty crazy.
3: So Pretty crazy. you were, you crazy were down on, on
2: Haight, at Haight-Ashbury. Is that where you hung out?
3: I didn't I was a hitchhiker. Um I would grown up in San Francisco in the day, you know, on, on the peninsula. So I certainly, you know, I went there, I knew the area a bit. I, I don't know, I was a hitchhiker, everyone was coming west, I was always going east. So it it just uh no 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 one really knew what to do in those days. Uh no one thought we would, you know, uh live 50, thirty. Uh, people didn't think that the world would survive, you know, nuclear holocaust, and, and it really spurned people to uh, live in the present.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: And, and that—that's what kind of brought about, in you know, in my opinion, you know, a lot of this uh, 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 where, where love really surfaced. There really wasn't time for a courtship. It was just love.
2: Right. Yeah. Instant love. Love, love, love. Yeah. I remember the placards. Yeah. You know, love everybody in love. So, how? Now, I read that that you did not know about your Jewish roots. How did you find out about them?
3: Well, I knew that I was Jewish, and oh, okay. that was always, uh, you know, a big thing to me. I just really didn't know anything about being Jewish. I, you know, I hadn't been bar mitzvahed. I, I just, uh, I just knew nothing. So your and, mother was Jewish uh, and
2: your father, or did you?
3: They yeah, just... both both parents were Jewish, but you know, um, I think particularly my father uh, was very affected by the Holocaust, right? And having he was in the war, but then got injured, and they found out he had, uh, you know, he had uh, a, a medical problem, and he had to leave the, the army. And I think having to watch the Holocaust from America, and that until he could not do anything about it. I think really uh, did something to him. That whole generation, I mean, they, they, these were just, uh, you know, they were very violent people. The people who went, people who watched it, uh, right. uh you know, a, a lot of violence, you know, there was just a residue of violence in America after that. I think we all grew up with, uh, in the fifties. And it was kind of this, you know, you know, beneath the placidity of the, of the fifties, there was this. Underground sort of uh, volcano happening, and uh, and I think the children, you know, those of us of the '60s that we, uh, you know, we opted for love. We, you know, we saw enough war already. You know, right. and uh, you know, all grew up with the, you know, you go to the movies as a kid. They always showed you the atomic bomb, like it was something to be proud of. You know, and it was, uh, uh, yeah. I think people really, you know, really felt, still feel, extremely manipulated. And that no one particularly in the 60s, yet, just there weren't any rules, there weren't any elders, or there, there, you know, all there was was the future, which didn't seem, you know, you know, very uh not to extend very far.
2: So at twenty six, you began to study the Torah, and for five years, yes. you did that among the ultra orthodox Hasidim, and and that's when you wrote yes. your first book. So when was it that you? you began looking at the to- at the uh, tarot cards as well
3: well uh, uh or after? yeah it's interesting you know I, I actually hitchhiked down to brooklyn and find myself in the middle of this uh thing and they threw me out which uh somehow was assigned to me i should say and uh <laughs> such a robot. and, and, and and I did, and I, and I just really, uh, fought through it. And I'm glad that I did because I really wanted to see this thing at its essence as much as I could. And I, and I really saw things, you know, before they became, um, maybe more popular. And I mm-hmm. really, uh, so, uh, but it wasn't for G, uh, 20 years later that I was, uh, in a, Bookstore, you know, I was living in, you know, New York at the time, and I picked up a book of tarot, and it kept saying Kabbalah, Kabbalah, all through the tarot book. And so I went out and got uh, uh, a deck of uh, tarot, which they had uh, had their writer so the weight deck. And I went home I spread it out on the, on the uh, floor. And, uh, the 78 cards, and I could see what was Kabbalistic about it. And I could understand this language. It was absolutely clear to me. And so I did a reading for myself. And the reading I did for myself really, uh, just blew me away because it just said exactly what was going on in my life. And I kind of realized I was 50 years old at that time and I realized, wow, I, you know, I have, uh, I found my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like everyone kind of has a thing, and they do, you know they hope to find it in their life you know if you understand that people could play guitars, sing or you know do tai Chi, and you know people have these things that just have kind of a natural thing for them right and uh, that 's what I found with guitars that became like the thing that I could do
2: so when you went to and when you that, went to new york and 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 you found you know yourself among the ultra orthodox and you were yeah. you wanted to study the Torah. Did you know Hebrew at the time?
3: I didn't know anything. I didn't even know know the alphabet. Wow. Nothing. And language is not an easy thing for me. I'm much more a visual person. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's, I think, my key to the Torah. The Torah is actually very visual. And so I have a hard time, you know, even now, like, like I mispronounce words. And I can't understand anything anyone will say to me, but if I read it, I understand it I, I'm just a very visual person, just like you know it's part right. of my whole trip i think
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so how fascinating that you that you learn the language and the Aramaic as well
3: you, know, it's, well, it's you, you really there. have to you know if you don't uh, and the books are just locked away from you you know if you're relying on translations, I mean you, you just never. You know, you just never have, you know, it's like uh, reading a book about love and not being in love.
2: So it was like you, you stayed in like a yeshiva? Is that what it was like? You went to
3: school every day for five years? Well, I I, I did uh, for the first year. And, and then I left and, and, and went off and uh, started driving a truck and uh, and just kept studying my own. I felt in one year I had the basic building blocks I knew uh, that that I needed. And after that, it was just a matter, you know, of just reading. And And then you went to northern Israel
2: for 10 years. And
3: I I lived in northern Israel for 10 years. That's certainly where I did the majority of my study.
2: Well, we're going to a break, and we'll be right
5: back.
0: (laughs) All right. We pay the bills. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, Then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com.
0: This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge.
1: It's you Have you ever found yourself in an airplane seated next to a nonstop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps, such as Plainly and Satisfy, are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: And we're back. You're listening to Frankie Sense and More. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is David Crafshaw. And, and, and I, I apologize for going into that last break un, unexplained, unannounced. I was just so interested in what, what David was saying that uh, time ran away with me that time. So we're back and we were talking about how, he's, how he moved to Israel for 10 years and, and he studied and before he coming back to America. So tell us what it was like living in Israel. Were you on a were you on a well, kibbutz, or did you
3: live in a city? Uh, well, the, the, there are four ancient cities in Israel that correspond to the four elements, mm-hmm. and uh, the city of Earth is Hebron where the uh, fathers are buried, and the city of Fire uh, is uh, uh, is Jerusalem, where the Temple was and the altar was, and the the various. Uh, you know, if they call it, they call it, uh, you yeah, know, the Canaris, uh, uh, where, uh, the, 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 God, the, God, the Leo, that's the city of water. And the spot where I lived was the city of air. And that's where the Zohar 2,000 years ago was written. And that's mm-hmm. where the Kabbalah came about, uh, 500 years ago. So being there and studying there, and breathing the air of this city uh, was just like living in a dream.
2: What revelations came to you after you read the Torah that you didn't know or that you never thought about?
3: Mm, That's a good question. Uh, You know, uh, uh, being kind of a a, um, uh, a vision person, I had a uh, conception of what creation is and learning the torah has so much broadened uh, my vision as to what that is and also to have a a a better understanding of who the creator is you know we have this relationship with the creator we all do it's just implicit in us and uh uh and the torah really helps to illuminate exactly you know, well, exactly. but illuminate the nature of this relationship with
4: the Creator. Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, there are people who read the Bible and people who read the Torah who say that, mm-hmm. you know, man wrote that down and maybe mm-hmm. they just made it up and who knows. Um yeah. after, after reading it and you said that you developed mm-hmm. this relationship with the, with God or the Creator, the universe, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, um, did you feel mm-hmm. that, that these were true words? Well
3: here's the thing, and and, you know, because in those days, you know, know, I came there in 1970, and I spent five years after the Navy, really searching for what was true. I just, you know, you couldn't believe politics. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who to believe. And I tried different, not religions, but different disciplines. And the thing that, uh, besides the fact I'm Jewish, this is a Jewish thing, but the thing that got me was that this is prophecy. Mm-hmm. And prophecy comes from heaven and has to be exact. And like in the Torah, like if one letter in the Torah, in the Torah that they read, you know, uh, weekly, if there's one letter in the Torah, there's 600,000 letters, and if one of them is, has even a crack in it, the entire thing is no good. You have to read from something else. Because this is prophecy. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, only the Jewish people and the Muslim people have, uh, which is the Torah and the Quran. <clears throat> and both of us are uh, going tremendous ends <coughs> to keep the, uh, uh, the text precisely uh, the way it is. And therefore you, you know for me, I had I to say, okay, this, is, this says it's true, Now, prove it. And I could ask all my questions
4: to it mm-hmm.
3: and it draws you in, and it always shows you, like, from a different perspective. And through this process, you start getting a bigger understanding of creation and the Creator. And uh, and see, other books, including the Bible, these are not prophecy. They don't claim to be prophecy. And so these are written by people.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, and much of this stuff cannot be believed at all. You know, a particular, you know, and uh, the prophecy, even though we don't understand it initially, but the fact that we're dealing with something that uh, that came out of heaven, that that's what makes it profound.
2: So what should we know about the prophecy that's coming up? Is there a prophecy coming up for us? I think you mentioned something about... Um, mm. You know, the 6,000-year Hebrew calendar turns 5,777, and you said it's a monumental yes. thing for us. Yes, it, it, it,
3: monumental time. Absolutely. It, you see that um, uh, the, the story of creation happening in six days. It, it, and if one reads the text uh, carefully, they'll see the only thing that was created was the human being. Everything else existed beforehand. So, you know, there was no creation of the elements. The elements were already there. And it says in the Kabbalah, in the in the Medrash, how God played with creation uh, uh, for two thousand years before creating. And those two thousand years can be, you know, they're, they're really a quarter of a million years.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then uh, that moment of creation. Uh, of the human being was the beginning of the six thousand year Hebrew calendar and in the year six 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 which uh 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 of that calendar uh Hanuk who is taken to be Metatron the angel of the earth is given all of the uh, uh secrets of time mm-hmm. and that's when the Mayan calendar begins. And the Mayan calendar is delivered to the Mayan people during the time of Muhammad. And in my mind, I think the famous uh, uh, night journey he takes on his horse uh, landed him in Mexico. Because prophets are prophets for the whole world. And they say that a god came from the sky riding on a feathered serpent because there weren't any horses in the Americas at that time. They had never seen a horse. Mm -hmm. So we see all these things tied together and the Mayan calendar ended at 2012 when we were uh, directly uh, uh, facing the center of the galaxy. So we understand that 666 has to do with sexuality and this was the conception and 2012 is like the dilation. And now we're into the, uh, the, the, process of pushing this new birth out. And seven, because the six, uh, uh, uh the sixth is male. This is faith. The six directions of faith. And it's played out in each thousand years. Each thousand years is a culmination around six to six. In our thousand years, uh, it was 1906. And it's interesting, a week before, uh, 1906, before, uh, uh, 5, uh, Einstein published E equals MC squared. And everyone wondered why he had waited for six months. And because it's a very, uh, uh, just strong time. It's the same time that Picasso uh, discovered cubism, which is very fundamental to the Torah, because the Ten Commandments were given in two cubes. So there's many things, and then this was a tremendously, uh, uh, creative time. And then, but the, unfortunately, the other forces turned this, all this energy into war. and We believe it had war, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, about the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And it was actually prophesied. Uh, I don't know. You can't say prophesize. It was predicted about. I think it was uh, maybe uh, eight hundred years ago, a thousand years. I don't remember, there's something called Jewish mystic. He said in this year of 5777, because he lived in four thousand seven seven seven, that 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 would be like you know a, a great opening uh, for the world because six is male, and seven, uh, which is space, and seven is time, which is woman. So we're moving into a thousand years of woman. That's what happens after the six days. There's a thousand, there's a day of rest. That each day is a thousand years. So we're moving into a thousand, uh, years of woman. And the seven, seven, seven is indicative of this because it's three times seven plus it makes 21, which is the, uh, uh, you know, in Hebrew, every letter has a number attached to it. So the futuristic name of God, Ihea, equals twenty-one. The,
2: the God equals
3: twenty-one? Yeah. The name, the name, right. the mm-hmm. name Ihia. and and the name we know that it will be used for God in the future. It's not used now. It's, right. it's Ihiyeh, and that equals twenty-one. So seven, seven, seven equals twenty-one. That, and also in that year, uh, like a like a year from now, uh, there will be uh, a totally trip uh, going right across America. So you right think the that of them, it's year okay. the
2: woman that, that this is the year that, that Hillary becomes
3: president. I wouldn't say that. No, no. <laughs> I, I would much like prefer that Bernie becomes president. Uh, you know. That's- I mean, woman is not about physical woman. Okay. Right. It's woman is about woman. all the things that woman uh, represents.
2: Okay, I get you know,
3: kind you know, the kindness, the compassion. Uh, the completion, the intero, the, the ten, which is always completion, this is woman. Uh-huh. It's called food, And these things are, are also borne out in our solar system from the sun to Pluto, that each of the ten orbs represents uh, a point on the tree of life. And it, it's so exact that only, only the creator could have done.
2: So interesting. Um, when we come, yeah. we're going to go to a break very soon. But when we okay. come back, um, actually, you know what? Before we go to this break, why don't you tell us uh, what? For those who don't know, what the Kabbalah is.
3: Mm. Well, uh, uh, the the uh, the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah, is, that it is mentioned all through many of the books, and it means to receive. There's certain uh, secrets people have received, and uh, you, you don't learn them out of a book. You just receive them, and when when they're spoken, people go, "Oh, you know that is part of the received message." We all recognize that that Mm -hmm. someone brings it to light. But the the all the Torah, all the oral tradition for a thousand years was written down two thousand years ago when Rome was you know destroyed Israel and pushed the Jewish people into the diaspora, and they wrote everything down. One of the things that was written down was the Zohar. But it wasn't, and this was the highest we level. We're going to stop this, you there. This, We're going
2: to come back and you're going to finish that. But we are going to go to a right. break. You are listening to Frankie Sense and Moore. My guest today is Dovid Krauchow, And when we come back, we are going to speak more to him. And also Brent Marshall is going to join us in the conversation.
0: Frankie Sense and Moore will be right back after we pay the bills.
1: It's merging. March- the first official 4th of July party was held at the White House in 1801. But did you know that countries other than the U.S. celebrate American Independence Day or July 4th? Denmark, Italy, Portugal, and England all have 4th of July parties. In fact, the British celebrate their independence with Bunkers and Fizz gigs, otherwise known as firecrackers, just like in America. Squib is slang for an electric match used in pyrotechnics. Our dog celebrates July 4th every year the same way, by cowering under the bed. Many European celebrations take place, of course, at American military bases. I'd like to send a special thanks to all our armed forces stationed around the world for everything you do to provide freedom and independence to America.
3: It's
1: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free
5: app, Too Funny for Word.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: Sodium intake can be problematic because most Americans have way too much. The recommended sodium intake is 2,300 milligrams a day, but the average intake in the U.S. is 3,400 milligrams a day. Sodium attracts fluid, and too much leads to hypertension, which raises your chances of having a stroke, heart failure or heart attack, and kidney disease. Table salt is definitely a culprit of high sodium intake, but there are other seemingly unseen ways to take sodium in. Sports drinks, energy drinks, and sodas all have high sodium levels. Macaroni and cheese, seasoned rice, and other boxed meals contain high amounts of sodium, along with processed meats, especially if they have been cured, smoked, or canned. Restaurant food is also a huge offender. Eating fresh food at home is your best offense. I'm Annette Hammond.
2: And we're back. It's Frankie Sensenmore, and the gang is now all here. Dovid is here, and Brent is here, and of course, I'm your host, Frankie, and I'm here. So just before we went to break, um, Dovid was, was explaining to us what the Kabbalah was, and, and he was, I think you're at the part of the Zohar, and yeah. what, you want to finish? And, Brent, I want you to feel yes, free to ask questions as they come up to you.
3: Okay. okay. So just the Zohar was also written down during that time, but it wasn't delivered to the earth until 1,000 years later. And no one could make really sense of it until the Kabbalah, which was another 300 years later. And then from that time, they, the emergence of what's considered Kabbalah today, modern Kabbalah, from the Arizal so that spread out through uh, the Boston Cove, the stadium. We're now in, I think we're, uh, we're 10 generations uh, from that, that. You know, we're really, uh, it's really, uh, so much of this knowledge is in the world now. And we need to get into the whole world. There's really cool knowledge about creation, and it's just it's just such beautiful stuff. Anyway, I can go on and on. There's
2: a, there's a lot of people, you know, very interested in people like Madonna, who was learning the Kabbalah? But uh, let's let's talk about uh, your book, Kabbalistic Tarot. And I know that Brent reads yes. tarot, and I read tarot a little bit, uh, and of course you teach tarot on um, Udemy, uh, I think. Do you still teach it on Udemy?
3: Yes, yes, I say yes, I do. Actually, yes, yes, I have a little force
2: there. Yeah. So the, your Kabbalistic Tarot is he, Hebraic wisdom mm. in in. Uh, you know, in the major and the minor Arcanas. So tell us a little bit about how you saw the relationship or, you know, Brent, do you know anything uh, about the Kabbalah?
4: A little bit. There, there was an excellent uh, documentary that came out not long ago called Kabbalah Me, mm-hmm. which is a story uh-huh. of a, a disenchanted middle-aged man who was trying to find some meaning in his life. He decided that um, he would take up studying the Kabbalah after the term kept being rec- recommended to him time after time after time. And he went on a full-blown exploration of it um, in his native New York, and then also even going to Israel to study with some of the masters over there. And it was a really remarkable um, chronicle of the story that he went through and getting acquainted with it and seeing all of its different aspects in terms of whether you want to um, study it from the standpoint of being a religious concept or just a philosophical concept. Fascinating stuff. Uh
3: Uh-huh. Well, I see it more as kind of a mathematical concept, the structure. And I, I, I see that well, what the Kabbalah shows us is how the Creator speaks to us through the structure of life. And the basic structure in the Kabbalah is ten. And we, we're in the sun and the nine planets. Uh, we have ten fingers, ten toes. And the body can be described in ten, in three triangles the triangle of the head, the two hemispheres of the brain in the third eye, the two arms in the body, the two legs in the text, and then speech. And I saw that, that this was uh, depicted in the tarot in each of the four suits, which were the four elements. And, it, and the interesting thing was that it starts with the number two and goes to ten, and then it has five court cards in the place of one which makes a lot of sense Kabbalistically, because the Kabbalah explains how the soul is very large and comes into the right side of the brain uh, through a line of light. And, and the soul has five sections to it. So, and then the major arcana is 22 cards, which are the ten zeroes, these ten elements, uh, male and female, each with a destiny. So that's what convinced me that, you know, I, I understood the language of the tarot.
2: So, so when, when you're reading it from a Kabbalistic point of view, the tarot, did mm-hmm. you make your own tarot cards then? No,
3: well, I continue using the Rider Waite, but uh, I understand the tarot as a Kabbalistic language, so if someone were to turn over these cards randomly, it would allow one's soul to give them a message. So that's what I do when I read tarot, is I try to help people understand the message that they themselves have uh, turned over. And that's why I don't like to do tarot over the phone.
2: Gotcha. Okay, and so those who, who are maybe afraid of tarot or don't understand what tarot is, um, let, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about for a moment. I mean, you have the fool's journey, which is oneself, and it's really about your own journey through life.
3: Yes, yes, absolutely, and your journey uh, with the creator.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Is that how you read it, it, um, Brent?
4: I I, um, primarily look at tarot cards as being like a sort of um, radio receiver. Uh You know, when when the person is having the reading done, they put their energy into the cards, and then it gets Mm -hmm. uh, um, displayed back to them in graphic form. So a lot of people I know who may have been skeptical thinking, oh, they have power to control you and so forth. I said, personally, I I don't believe in that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe that really that the only thing they do is they pick up your vibes and tell them back to you in a form that you can see graphically.
3: Interesting.
2: Uh,
3: That's not so far off from from what I I, uh, uh, do, I just consider it more the soul reflecting back. but. Uh, I do believe the cards, because they are probabilistic, that if someone does take the cards and, and says something that they shouldn't say to someone, like predict the future or, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, anything like that, you know, that would be like a curse to a person. So people should be afraid of these cards and shouldn't let just anyone read them. Uh, I would certainly caution people from that. Interesting.
2: Now, you you wrote like a gazillion books and only published five. Why is that?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's a funny thing, you know, uh, I mean, for a writer, the main thing is to write the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to get stuff published. And I really thought Kabbalistic Terror would really be an opening to me. And the publisher, Inner Traditions, also thought it'd be an opening into the Jewish world but then not one Jewish uh, a publication would review the book. So I was kind of, uh, you know, censored, I guess. Right. So uh, so it's very, you know, uh, and I just, you know, and for my thing, the information keeps coming in, and I just, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not a publisher. I'm not a seller of books. So I I still have many I have many books I need to publish but I have other books that are no more important to write. You know
2: I came up, I came across you on YouTube. There was a video. Yeah. And I started yeah. to watch your videos and I'm I'm like this guy is so funny. Like you really are really hard funny. <laughs> yeah.
3: But you know
2: you have got you've got your udmystic.com, you have the Jewish Bohemian now your blog the Jewish Bohemian the stuff that you write about there is that like do you do that is that for money or is are these topics that you're interested in i mean i'm looking at how to appear slimmer without losing weight oh um, see this
3: is terrible worrying. this is yeah this is what happened this is what happened uh, i i uh, about I don't know, maybe three years ago, it was, it was after 2012, and I, and I just all the stuff i written. Nothing had been accepted, and I was just, I was very depressed, and I just let the site go. Uh-huh. Someone bought the site and, is, uh, and stole my identity. I went to the police. They said it's absolutely illegal what he's doing. I have no idea. He did it on, some, on an anonymous website. He's pretending to be me. And so people go on and they see this and, uh, you know, and they think it's me and it, it, it's just, it it's embarrassing. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't write those things, uh, you know, I was really proud of the stuff I read. I always wrote about, you know, uh, I had for many years a thing called Kabbalistic News where I would write a news item and explain how it was Kabbalistic. Oh. And I did it every day and I just, Sometimes you get to a place in life it's just uh, it just seems like nothing's working and you get depressed and I let it all go I, I, I erased things I shouldn't have erased I feel very badly I did this but wow. what can one do I, I, I came up with a new you know way to describe myself right and uh, so uh, my hope is I can you know get that going you know get enough traffic where that will be that will come up on the top and you know, when someone puts in my name instead of Jewish Bohemian, I still have the YouTube is Jewish Bohemian. I don't know. My problem is, see, I'm a very, you know, I'm kind of like uh, an introvert, I guess. And uh, so I don't really, you know, I know how to do certain things, but the world kind of baffles me. Right. So it kind of drives me back in to just write and to study and, uh, you know, you know that, that's sort of me. Except... Uh, 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 recently. And I, I you know, and I, I, I hope it's okay if I kind of bring this up. Sure. All right. That, yeah, go ahead. Um, because it kind of, uh, you know, coincides what we were talking about with the calendar, that, uh, we've entered into uh, the three weeks of mourning. Uh, we've been doing this for 2,000 years after the temple was destroyed because both temples, the first and the second temple in Jerusalem, were destroyed of uh five uh uh uh, uh, uh five hundred years apart on the same day. So the rabbis instituted that uh, uh that we should fast on this day, the ninth day above, uh which I think mean is the twelfth of August this year, and it falls on Shabbat and you push it off for the next day. And uh a famous uh Rebbe uh said that we push it off for one day we should push it off altogether. So it seems to me we're going into a time of uh, the future, the seven, 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 and I think as a way of uh, declaring this that we should push it off forever. So um, uh, and I, yes, but anyways, uh, 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 I seem a strange thing to encourage people to do, but it says eventually this day would become a holiday, and I think sometimes you got to put some pressure on God. And I think we should make it a holiday, and we should say we're ready for the future because things are so bleak in the world right now. It, it, it's right. just stunning how horrible it is. And uh, we need to start seeing what the future is. The future is not, you know, calamity. We're, we're over the hump. The worst is over. And, and really, there, there's beautiful things that are coming to us. And, uh, you know, my, you know, it's interesting. One of the things with Zohar, it makes predictions. And it predicts that there'll be a three, like Rome, because that's you know, what we're living in, we'll have a battle with a country on the other side of the world for three uh, months. To,
2: wait, I'm going to stop you because we have to go to a commercial break. But when we come back, I oh. definitely want to hear the rest of that. And then we're going to talk to All Brent right. about the movies because Brent
3: has... Yes. All right.
2: Conscious movies, law of attraction. Here we go. Uh, don't go anywhere, folks, because we are coming right back with David and with Brent, and we're gonna hear about the prediction of this hump that we're over. I- I'm excited about a future where it's yeah. positive. I like that. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
0: Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Order.
4: Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling
0: 903-287-0747. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge.
1: the gabberlunzi bear caught rummaging through a refrigerator in an apartment in colorado the tenant heard noises coming from the kitchen and saw a bear with his head in the fridge looking for anything it could eat what's a word for food that's unfit for human consumption ma wallop the tenant locked himself in his bedroom and called for help what's a word for the fear of bears ursophobia we have lots of bears near our Colorado cabin, and we have been told that pepper spray will keep them away. But the idea that it would keep a 500-pound grizzly bear from attacking seems ridiculous to me. I think I'll try the pepper spray on myself and hope the bear doesn't like spicy foods. It's words I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: And we're back, and I thank you for sticking around, because, you know, the fun never stops at Frankie Stinson More does it? We are just going to finish off and hear the good news that's about to come for all of us on Earth. Go ahead.
3: Well, <laughs> yeah, it's always part of it, but one of the things that's going to happen it says there's going to be a war, and it sounds downside like between, like, America and China. So uh, it says it'll be for three months, and then the world will come together. So obviously it's a violent war. that You know, violence never brings anything together. But I think it's going to be a trade war. And I think uh-huh. that maybe money will get exposed, and uh, people will go back to a simpler way of life. And it's just absurd. I mean, we just all live in, you know, we just slaves for the rich people. You know, and whenever they say, you know, that there's too much population, I always think, yeah, there's too many rich people. So... Anyway, that, that, uh, and it is that uh, there are many predictions of like, you know, how things, there's going to be a clear language, we'll understand one another, and, uh, and the world will rejuvenate, and uh, things are going to be good. Well, that's probably and because of that feminine
2: energy coming in. You know, we're much absolutely. more likely to, to, to want to understand one another than to, than to fight one another. Precisely. Precisely. Nice, I like that. Wow. Okay. If you want to if you want to know more about Dovid and all of the wonderful predictions and, and his writing and the things that, that you know are important to him, uh, you know, definitely you, you want them to go to the UD
3: website. Reading mystic. everything mystic.com.
2: Go to udmystic.com and uh, or go onto youtube and, and watch some of his videos they're They're fabulous, they're really good. Well, Brent, as I promised, Brent is with us, and he is going to talk about a couple of movies that are just coming out or just come out. Uh, one being life animated and I want to tell you, Brent, that I was um, approached by the the folks who who produced that movie and asked to be on the show. And so I, I do think that um, Owen's mom, Cornelia, is going to come okay. on the show in the next little bit. Excellent. So I'm kind of excited about that. And they sent me the movie,
4: and I loved it, loved it. it. It's a really it. wonderful movie. Uh, it, it's interesting because uh, before the movie came out, I had seen um, a number of news reports uh, telling the story of Owen Susskind, the, the central uh, subject in the movie, who uh, was uh, diagnosed with autism at age three. Like our, our other guest here? Term- His parents were really surprised because he had been such a a vibrant child up to that point, and he suddenly went silent. And they did what they could to try and bring him out of it, and and the only thing they found that worked was showing him videos of the Disney animated movies. Now, it turns out he had watched those movies before he had gone silent. They apparently had given him quite a bit of joy, and something in that lingered in him uh, after he was uh, in the throes of autism. And it became his mechanism for finding a way to reconnect with the world. He apparently had, had memorized the dialogue from all the pictures and then used the, um, the lines from movies as a filter for understanding the world around him. Really a, a very inventive way for someone challenged like that to figure out a way to reconnect. And that really unlocked the door for him and opened up um, all kinds of new possibilities for him to become more socially involved. And as the movie shows, it, it not only chronicles his personal history, but it also chronicles his um, attempts at becoming a high-functioning, relatively self-sufficient adult. And what was interesting that he, was that
2: his mom figured it out. She goes, yes. he's talking about, you know, a Disney movie. You know, yes. that's a line from Disney. And they figured out that that was the actual key to unlocking his language. And, understanding and the other thing that was him.
4: interesting was that, When he had started to emerge, he was beginning to do some drawings. And um, his dad looked at the pictures that he drew and noticed that there was a connection with all the drawings and the fact that he was drawing all of the sidekick characters from all the movies. And he thought of himself as the protector of the sidekicks, Mm -hmm. Um, the characters who were always there, always could be called upon but in the shadow of the heroes, and he was the one who was going to be their person to, um, be, their, to be their champion. Um, it's really very well put together, uh, a nice mix of his history, a nice mix of his, um, his current status, uh, a number of clips from the Disney movies that inspired him, and also the incorporation of some original animation uh, depicting um, metaphorically his own personal journey. Um, mm-hmm. I recommend it really very highly.
2: Uh, me too! What a fantastic film, just absolutely beautiful documentary. And I loved when he went to France, and, and they, you know, the Autistic Society asked him to come and speak, and 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 he, he you know, beautiful accent, French accent when he spoke yes. in French. So I'm like, oh my god, how incredible is that? But he had a real talent for the voices, like he could he could you know really give these characters in Disney. Um, back you know like he could do voice work for sure he could do voice work if he ever wanted well, again, to. again
4: that was that was his key that was his his yeah. um, his way out and uh you know i could i could relate to it in a, in a way myself because there have been so many times over the years when i was trying to describe situations to people and i would frequently reference movies mm-hmm. scenes lines to make a point when i did that you know the point would come across. So the fact that he was doing this too, I said, "Oh, I I absolutely get that." <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And and Dovid, you you you're autistic. You said you have autism. And so how yeah. how did did it did it make you go silent? Is that why you're you write or? Well
3: it's very odd that you should mention this because really, up until the time that I started learning Torah, I, I my thinking was in Disney characters. Everything really? was animated in my brain. Yes interesting wow yeah 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 and it's just uh i had to kind of force my way out of that because i could have like an animation of god or something you know <laughs> i don't know but, but yeah, i did was all disney had a huge effect upon me
4: it's unbelievable
2: now um brent they're doing are they doing like showings in different cities or is it yeah. actually in in the theater yes,
4: like it's in general release now i'm not sure how long it's going to be in general release but um, at least it, it is for the moment. So,
2: yeah. What if you can get run to it? It's it'll change you.
4: It's so beautiful. I love 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 love. It.
2: What's the other movie? Uh-huh. Is it Shadows of Liberty that you wanted to talk about?
4: Uh, well, that's actually an interesting movie. It's it's uh, that's a, a movie that's available on DVD right now. Okay. Uh, it's a movie that explains uh, about the buying and selling of the American media, and essentially how what you're seeing uh, is really. In many cases, little more than veiled corporate speak Mm. uh, or veiled PR. Mm -hmm. Um, It it draws upon several high profile cases uh, where the news was intentionally manipulated, where reporters were basically told to stop doing particular stories because they didn't, you know, line up with the corporate or the government agenda. Right. Yeah. and it's, it's a, very, a very damning indictment in many ways of why the American mainstream media has gotten to the point that it's at right now. So I, I recommend that one highly. Another one that's on DVD at the moment is called How to Change the World, mm-hmm. which is a, a history of the early days of the Greenpeace movement. Oh, that was Showing a good one. Yeah. How, yeah, it shows how a group of sort of ragtag hippies um, decided, hey, we're going to go out and change the world. And in many ways did. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing how they did it. I mean, they really were sort of flying by the seat of their pants, Um, but they managed to have the right message at the right time and it caught on and spread. And, you know, nowadays, I mean, Greenpeace in many ways is almost synonymous with the environmental movement. Absolutely. Uh, So this movie shows gives you a very well documented history of the early days of, of the organization when they were Initially protesting the U.S. nuclear testing on Amchika Island in Alaska, and then going out from there to protest the whale hunting and the seal hunting and so on, and how they became this huge global organization.
2: And, you know, for people who always say, oh, well, what can I do? And, and this is one of the reasons I started the Good Radio Network. What can I do? I'm only one person. You know what? When people are activists, when people feel something and they get together, they can change the world. They really can.
4: Oh, absolutely. And this movie shows it. And and it shows that you don't really have to have, you know, uh, oodles of resources to to do it. Mm -hmm. Because they were operating on a shoestring budget. They were grabbing things here and there. They could get their hands on to do what they needed to do. And, I mean, word spread. And it's made a huge impact.
2: Like, everybody knows about Greenpeace. Everybody.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I know we've been sort of focusing on documentaries, but they've really been kind of the heroes of the summer movie season this year. They have, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the the mainstream, big-budget stuff has been, they've kind of gone bust. Uh, But another documentary that I liked is a movie called The Music of Strangers. Um, Oh, yeah, Yo-Yo Ma? Yeah, Yo-Yo Ma and the Silk Road Ensemble, which chronicles the formation of this musical project that he started uh, involving Western and indigenous musicians from around the world to create a totally new sound. And it's interesting because you not only get to hear the music and see what they're doing, but you also learn about how art has become a means for helping to promote cross-cultural understanding. And it was specifically uh, important to Yo-Yo Ma himself because even though he was a child prodigy, he still felt kind of empty with all the Mm -hmm. acclaim that he was getting from a very young age. He needed to figure out what to do with his talent to make a difference. And this project did that. And it's, uh, it's, it's profiled in this film so well where you hear sounds that you know, were just never before conceived of in, in terms of the music that's produced. Um, and you also get to meet several of the musicians to see how their involvement with the, organi- with the ensemble has uh, affected their lives and how they've been able to give back to their own particular cultures featuring musicians from Syria, Iran, China, and Spain.
2: Yeah, it's fabulous. It, it, that is like one movie that's like, if you love music and, and you love, you know, just art as an art film, you're going to definitely want to go see that. And the
4: music is it's infectious when you're listening yeah. to it. I mean, you just, it's the kind of, because it's so fresh and so vibrant and so different from anything else you've ever heard that you don't want the pieces to end. <laughs> I know, and
2: that—that's what's so exciting—is that, that you know people always think oh it's everything's been done, but it hasn't. No. And how, no. how incredible! Like there's like 26 notes or something, and or not even and, and you know 26 letters in the alphabet, but but just I don't know do re mi fa sol. I don't know how many notes there are, but like 12 notes or something, and and you can create so much, so many different songs and pieces and music, and it all goes together, and it goes to different so many. Incredibly complicated ways, it's amazing,
4: especially when you combine all these different kinds of instrumentation, you yeah. know the indigenous instruments and the Western instruments. I mean, who would have thought of putting them together, but when you did, you know it's like creating a new type of fusion cuisine.
2: Yeah, yeah. I love like world music, but I especially love it when when things that aren't supposed to go together go together. Yep. it's very exciting for me. Kind of like Dovid. There's, there's,
3: <laughs> there's seven notes there's seven notes.
2: Seven, thank you.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's seven, seven, seven. Seven notes. And
2: so many, (laughs) so much music out in the world, and none of it is repetitious. How incredible is that? Yeah,
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I
2: love that. Uh, what of the we're out of time it, my what? friends we are out of uh, time I wish I had more time with you because you guys are great but we are out of time thank you so much David, David and Brent thank you so much for coming and everybody thank you for listening today thank
3: you Frankie yeah, thank you Frankie Bye-bye.
4: bye bye bye